Welcome to Ghost of a Podcast. I'm your host, Jessica Lignato. I'm an astrologer, psychic medium, and animal communicator, and I'm going to give you your weekly horoscope and no bullshit mystical advice for living your very best life. Hey there, ghosties. In this episode, I'll deliver your astrological weather report for the week ahead. Every Sunday, I help you prepare to navigate through life's ups and downs and provide you with practical insights for planning ahead and staying on top of your game. And don't forget to hit subscribe whenever listening to this podcast or just mark your calendars because every Wednesday I'll be back with a live in-depth reading with a listener. Maybe it'll be you. So sit back, relax, and get ready to get astrological. Welcome back to Ghost. This week we're going to look at April 30th through May 6th of 2023. There's some really meaningful stuff happening, including, of course, the lunar eclipse in Scorpio. So we're going to have a lot to talk about here. But I want to acknowledge May Day, which happens on May 1st. May Day for many people is a spiritual holiday. It's a pagan holiday. And it's celebration of fertility and life itself. But May 1st or May Day is also International Labor Day, which is an investment in quality of life for the working populace. May Day in America was born out of the eight-hour workday movement in the 19th century in Chicago. At the time, as the capitalist system gained a foothold in industrial-era America, working-class conditions had worsened. A 16-hour work shift, 16-hour work shift, you heard that right, wasn't unusual for workers at the time. And decades, decades before the eight-hour workday became the country's norm, the organization now known as the American Federation of Labor set May 1st, 1886, as the date that workers nationwide should go on strike to demand an eight-hour workday. I got this information and pretty much quoting it from Emma Bowman, who wrote for NPR, and you can find that article if you just go to npr.org. So this May Day, it's important to understand that within capitalism, our governing body's primary motivation is to keep the system running, not to keep us safe or happy. The government knows that COVID isn't over, that people are still dying, and very importantly, that with every infection, people become more at risk for long COVID and other debilitating health complications as a result of COVID, even asymptomatic cases. And those complications can include but are not limited to immune system dysregulation, injury to our cardiovascular, liver, kidney, and neurological functions. I mean, it can be really debilitating for our bodies. And because it's only a few years old, COVID, uh, we don't really yet know the long-term implications for our bodies. It's important to note as, you know, we are we are getting closer to COVID medications being dropped by the US government that they are dropping these mitigations to get us back to work and to keep business as usual, not because they believe that COVID is over. Right? We we know this. So I'm gonna paraphrase kind of closely Imani Barbarin, who is crutches and spice on social media. I follow her on Instagram and TikTok, and you should too. The biggest barrier to getting disability benefits in the US if you or a loved one develops long COVID is to prove that your initial diagnosis of COVID existed even to begin with. Tons of folks are not testing, and when they do test, they're not reporting their infections or keeping any record of them. And you can't get any kind of disability assistance in the future should you need it if you can't prove that you had an infection of COVID to begin with. 
We know that COVID is a mass disabling event, and it is so important that we do what we can to take care of our own bodies and the bodies of our communities, you know, close and far from us. So, of course, mask. But regardless, especially if you're not masking, test. Test. And as Imani recommends, keep photographic records of your test if you have a positive test. You know, if you can email a doctor, if you have a doctor to let them know that you have an infection, should you have an infection, even if it's an asymptomatic one, it can really help you down the line should you need it. Hopefully you won't, but you might. It's important to remember that under a capitalist system, it is the people coming together to protect ourselves and each other that keeps us safe, not the capitalist system itself. Our wellness is not now, nor has it ever been, the top priority of a capitalist system that requires workers to keep itself profitable. Because workers' rights, the rights of racialized people, queer and trans people, and disability rights are interwoven. If we don't actively care with our actions about all of these groups, again, with our actions, we are perpetrating harm on all of them. We can't be united in the details of all things. That's unrealistic, right? But let us be, at the very least, united in empathy and the commitment to protect not just life, but quality of life. And this May Day may be a wonderful time for you to set intentions around that or reset some of your behaviors or attitudes around how you are showing up for the rights of all working people. And with that, let's get into your good old-fashioned horoscope. Again, we're looking at April 30th through May 6th, 2023, and we start your horoscope on May 1st. The first thing is Pluto goes retrograde. I don't actually usually talk about outer planets going retrograde. I don't tend to find it generally that newsworthy uh, because, you know, the outer planets spend like half the year retrograde. So this is kind of like what they do. But I'm mentioning this particular retrograde for a really important reason. So Pluto is going retrograde at zero degrees and 21 minutes of Aquarius, right? So we're not even halfway through zero degrees of Aquarius. What this means, my friends, is that Pluto is retrograding back into Capricorn. On June 11th, Pluto will enter back into Capricorn where it will stay until January 22nd, 2024. So (laughs) you thought that the chaos and revolution of Pluto and Aquarius was irretractable? Hey, yeah, uh, maybe maybe it is. Slash also, we are stepping back into uh, Pluto moving into exactitude of the conjunction to the USA's Pluto. In other words, the Pluto return of the United States. We are going to meaningfully revisit the themes we have been living with and working through since 2008 when Pluto entered into Capricorn, right? And this is really consequential. I want to encourage you to pay attention to this transit. And if you have anything in a zodiac sign that will be aspected by Capricorn and it's at late degrees, pay close attention because Pluto's coming back for you. See? Now, one more thing I'm going to just share about this Pluto retrograde is that Pluto is also squaring Jupiter. It's it's at a sign, but it is forming a square to Jupiter. And this transit can trigger religious zealotry. It can trigger the drive to find a scapegoat. And often that drive, because of Jupiter's involvement, can be religious, right? This transit can 
have a really kind of relentless and provocative energy to it. This is one of those times where, you know, Jupiter's expansion is not always a good thing, especially when it's in conflict with Pluto as a square, you know, it's kind of a conflictual aspect. This is where we can have people with power coming hard and fast at people that they are trying to scapegoat. And I don't need to paint a picture for you about how many vulnerable people that puts at risk, right? So we definitely want to pay attention to this Pluto retrograde. The other thing that can happen is crisis becomes so big that the drive to repair also increases, right? To create some form of repair or healing, right? That is possible, again, socially and personally. So if you're going to fight, make sure you're fighting for something. If your impulses get really just just itchy and you're feeling uh, driven by resentments or jealousy or just the drive to get away from bad feelings, do what you can to make sure that you are acting in ways that are ethical by your standards and that don't create more problems than it solves. It's, it's a tricky retrograde. It's a tricky time with this Jupiter-Pluto score, which we'll talk about more another time. But I want to just kind of bookmark all of this for you because it's just one more fucking piece of, uh, you know, intensity in the mix of, oh, I don't know, eclipse season. So something else that's happening on the 1st of May, May Day, we have a sun conjunction to Mercury retrograde. So sun conjunct Mercury retrograde is kind of like a mixy, a mixed sort of transit. Because on the one hand, with a sun conjunction to Mercury, we can really um, align our thinking and our identity. We can kind of come together and figure things out, communicate things really well, be in a state of receptivity, right? And the fact that Mercury is retrograde can actually help that because it can foster greater introspection and the willingness to engage in revision, right? That, that's absolutely possible with a sun conjunction to Mercury retrograde. But what's also possible is that we get real hooked on our version of events, that we have this idea about who or what we are, who or what somebody else is, what's happening. So we have a terrible time with listening because we're so convinced of our own beliefs, attitudes, version of the story. We may communicate poorly, <laughs> but emphatically. So we may emphatically communicate something uh, in a way that is just like destined for being misunderstood. So terrible time for processing, right? Let's start. Let's start there. It's a terrible time for processing. If you can put it off, I encourage you to. If you are engaged in any kind of process, whether it's like at work or, you know, with somebody you're intimate with or somebody that you're not intimate with, but you must deal with, this transit lets us know that it's really important to listen. Listen to what people are saying. Try to quiet your own monologue, uh, you know, like responding to people as they're talking and try to actually listen and see things from other people's perspective, not as a way to minimize your own perspective. Oh, no. But just as more data. And if it ends up shifting your perspective, fabulous, you know, theoretically fabulous. It depends, I guess. But you see where I'm going with this. The sun conjunction to Mercury is an important transit, which often increases like the tempo of your your communication, your daily life. You know, you may just like find yourself uh, hopping around town, doing a bunch of errands or, you know, communicating with a bunch of people more than is normal for you. Uh, this is not a bad time for reconnecting with 
friends or people you've kind of lost track of. It's just you want to make sure that you keep it light and you don't just go and talk at people. You listen to them. And if you're somebody who never opens your mouth and you never really speak, then challenge yourself to speak more. So that's just May Day. That's just May 1st. And that brings us to the next exact transits of this week. And there's two of them happening on the same day. That's May 4th. On May 4th, we have a Venus sextile to Jupiter as well as a Venus square to Neptune. Okay, so because both of these transits are, of course, Venus transits, we know straight out the gate that it's going to involve Venusian themes such as your intimate relationships, sensual relationships, right? Like sexy, sensual relationships, your relationship to your body and aesthetics and your finances. And then on a kind of more deep and fundamental level, your damn values, right? Now, Venus is in Gemini. And we know Venus and Gemini can be a little scattered, a little all over the place. The Venus sextile to Jupiter, which is exact at 9.03 p.m. Pacific time on the 4th, that transit, lovely, just fucking lovely, right? It can be really expansive for our, you know, flirting life and for our romantic life. It can make it a lot easier to kind of have a flow of connection with people, whether it's like you're just flirting with someone at the cafe or you're going on a first date or, you know, it's your wife sitting next to you, the person you've been with for a bazillion years. It's just fun, flirty dynamic. This transit is also expansive, right? And so within its expansiveness, what can happen is that you feel yourself, right? You feel more excited. You feel more uh, open. And it's just, again, an all around wonderful transit. It can help us to manage our money better or it can have us just spending money because we're like, Jupiter says it'll be fine. So, you know, pros and cons, it's mainly a pro. But here's the thing. And the reason why I started with this transit, even though uh, the Venus square to Neptune is exact at 1040 a.m., so it's much earlier in the same day, is that Venus sextiling Jupiter is going to egg on Venus squaring Neptune. And Venus square to Neptune is a very different kind of transit. Venus and Neptune are the two romantics of the zodiac. And when they sit at 90 degrees apart from each other, they have a difficult time. And they have a difficult time because it becomes really tricky to know what's real and what's not real. And so there can be an idealization of oneself, but more frequently of others. You may put people or situations on a pedestal, imagining that they are far better than they are, or better than you or better than your ex or whatever it is. This transit can have us being basically kind of in a fantasy land. And depending on your nature and your situation, this may be a huge fucking problem or just kind of a pain in your bun or a nice distraction. Unfortunately, because it's a square, we will often experience situations in which we need to have healthier boundaries. The tricky part about boundaries, a thing I talk about all the damn time, is that you need to know where you begin and end in order to have a boundary. Like you got kind of got to start with you, with accepting that you have a right to exist, with validating your own presence, and then that you have a right to have a boundary, right? If you don't feel that you have a right to have a boundary, our boundaries at that time become really defensive or very weak. And this can happen under a Venus square to Neptune because it can often provoke insecurities 
insecurities about our worth, our worth as we perceive it in others, you know, so how we think other people feel about us, um, insecurity about our looks, you know, it could either be about how you look or how you feel other people feel about how you look. Luckily, we don't have a, a visual-based internet where all we do is compare ourselves to others online, right? Right? This is a great day, great day to take a little social media break. You know, if you're having low self-esteem, you do not need to compare yourself to curated images of other people online. This transit, again, it calls into question our values. Now, Neptune governs our ideals, which tend to be unattainable. And Venus is our values, which is attainable. We can live in accordance with our values. And so when these two planets form a square, there will often be at core of whatever it is that's going on, whether it's body image, money stuff, relationship stuff, a conflict between our values and our ideals. You know, our ability to stay in alignment with what is right for us based on our estimation versus our desire to be idealistic off in the clouds or kind of uh, five steps ahead instead of here and now, right? So that's ultimately the core of what the, the conflict is with the square between Venus and Neptune, however it shows up. This is why a lot of people spend money on shit they don't need. So uh, I, I would encourage you to maybe not spend money on and around this date, you know, if you can. Certainly not if you are feeling tight, like this isn't the time to just splurge this transit can often have us feeling demoralized, disappointed, with low self-esteem, just kind of funky. That can lead, thanks to Neptune, to disassociative behaviors. And because it's a square to Neptune, they can be destructive or unhealthy disassociative behaviors. Now, not all disassociation is bad. You know, we all need it. We all do it. But make sure that whatever it is that you're doing to check out doesn't create additional harm to yourself or your life or the people around you. So as an example, if you know that you need to just kind of like disappear and not communicate with people because you're feeling anxiety, which again, thanks Neptune, uh, no problem. But if you have friends who are counting on you or expecting to hear from you, you know, just text them, copy and paste the same little thing like, oh, you know, I'm going to turn off my phone for the day, XO. You know what I mean? Like sometimes just giving people a little bit of attention, even when you really don't have it in you, can go a really long way to not isolating yourself because that is always a risk with a square to Neptune, certainly from Venus. We end up either treating others kind of like doormats or we ourselves are treated like doormats. You know, and it's very easy for people to focus on um, harm being perpetrated against them. But when we feel bad, is when we're most likely to behave poorly towards others because we can't figure out any other way of doing things or because, you know, hurt people hurt people. That's like a thing for a reason, right? So don't take advantage of others. And if you find yourself being taken advantage of, uh, do what you can to call some down boundaries. And those boundaries may look like any number of things. But I will remind you, Right. And I, I have a feeling I'm going to keep on reminding you of this for as long as Neptune uh, and Saturn are in Pisces. But you don't need to process with people you don't trust. You don't need to you know, bear your soul and explain things to people you don't trust. You can say, I'm not available instead of I'm not available because I feel X, Y and Z. If you don't trust a person. You don't need to give them everything. That's OK. 
Now, one last thing I can say about this transit, it can intensify our desire for love, which if you don't feel like you have love or the kind of love you want can intensify loneliness. If that's going on for you and you just don't have your relationships where you want them to be on whatever level, there may not be much you can do about it other than sulk, which again, thanks Neptune. But this transit actually is one in which we can take a spiritual approach to coping with the loneliness that the transit itself provokes. And so a spiritual approach can look like doing something spiritual to affirm your intimate and sensual, like sense-based connection to nature, to God or the universe or whatever it is that resonates with you. Just, you know, putting your bare feet on the earth, putting your hands on a tree, uh, just sitting and opening yourself up to interconnection with, I don't know, the root systems of trees. Uh, You know, dolphins, they're so weird. Maybe not dolphins. I don't know. But like, you see where I'm going with this, right? This transit can intensify our connection on a spiritual level, which if you're feeling lonely, can be some, you know, solve to a wound, which is really valuable. It's not going to fix your problem. But when we're going through a Venus square to Neptune, we're not in the right spot to fix the problem. And we don't want to make it worse by, you know, investing in narratives or going deep in self-pity, right? We don't want to uh, reach out to people who we know we don't trust, that we shouldn't let in just because we're feeling lonely, which is what a lot of people do when we feel lonely. So, you know, you can fuck with the spirituality and see how that serves you. I guess, wait, no, one, one more thing I'll say about this transit is it can make you feel fucking tired. It can just make you feel really exhausted. And if that's what comes up for you, if you can, nap. If you can, uh, take a break. Neptune can be exhausting. And sometimes um, when the body's tired, the greatest thing you can do for your damn body is relax. It's to tend to that. Hey, did you know that I have a weekly sun sign horoscope that you can read on my website? It's true. Every Wednesday, I publish a horoscope carefully crafted for you by sign. It's free, it's accurate, and it's always right on time. Check it out at lovelaniato.com. And that brings us back to the headline news of the week. We have a lunar eclipse in Scorpio on May 5th. It's exact at 1034 a.m. Let me tell you all about it. Lunar eclipses are full moons, right? Not all full moons are lunar eclipses, but all lunar eclipses are full moons. A full moon is going to affect us for about a month. Every month, there's a full moon. And so when it comes to the moon, a.k.a. our emotions, our emotional development, our relationship to ourselves, to our intimate life, our home life, our past, the people that we're close to, all that kind of good stuff. Each lunar transit, and, you know, I really like to focus on the new and full moons, including the eclipses, it's kind of a benchmark of your own emotional development. Each full moon is an opportunity to let things go. And the way that we experience that opportunity is by things coming up. They come to the surface during a full moon. So when we're talking about letting things go, we're talking about an emotional catharsis as opposed to an analytic shift in perspective. So many people, including me, encourage journaling during an eclipse or a full moon. And that's really helpful 
as long as you don't use your head to evade your feels. When you do that, you're disconnecting from the moon as a way to kind of control the moon instead of what we're meant to do, which is feel the moon. So I'm not much of a sporty person and I don't know how to surf, but surfing to me seems like the perfect metaphor for how we're meant to engage with any kind of lunar transit. We're meant to somehow stay in the body, find the center, and ride the waves, understanding that crashing is an inevitable part of surfing, right? Feeling all your feelings means allowing your challenging, hard-to-feel emotions and your glorious, life-affirming, happy emotions to hold the same weight for you because they're all part of having a moon, aka of having emotions, of being a person, and of evolving. So when we look at an eclipse, what we're looking at is a full moon that's going to have an impact over the next six months as opposed to one month. Now, different astrologers, you know, in different lineages of astrology will give you different takes on what eclipses mean. Some astrologers are really, really into eclipses, and it's like a big part of their practice. I am not one of those astrologers. But, you know, again, there's many different ways to do a thing. But I will say that when an eclipse occurs, it is a powerful thing. And it's something that's meant to shake things up. And again, not material things, not your thoughts. We're talking about your feelings and everything that is interconnected from your emotions, right? You know, the moon in astrology governs over our digestive system. We digest information, experiences, the past, the present, our ideas about the future. We digest these things through our feelings, aka our moon, right? So as we're going through an eclipse, we are not meant to do things. We're not meant to control or contain, to set intentions, to manifest, to do any kind of big releasing or unpacking. We're not meant to do that because the eclipse is meant to do a thing to us. I talked about this on my Patreon recently. And the metaphor I use there, I'm going to use it here. Doing spiritual work or, you know, trying to make big moves in your life during an eclipse is kind of like um, taking your curly, curly hair uh, out to the blowout bar and getting it straightened during a humid, windy rainstorm. Now, I know some of you won't be able to work with this metaphor, but as a curly girl, I'm going to tell you, it's an exercise in futility, okay? Humidity uh, will turn your hair curly. So will wind. OMG, so will rain, right? So why fight the elements is the point. We're not meant to fight the elements. We're meant to be present, again, moon, emotionally present, so that we can be receptive to whatever it is that comes up within us and emerges around us. And for a lot of people, a lot of eclipses are just really subtle. And for a lot of people, they're really dramatic. It depends on how it hits your chart mathematically, right? All to say, you don't need to do anything. I'm going to tell you about this eclipse, don't you worry, but you don't need to do anything for it or about it. And if you're planning on doing spiritual work, like, you know, spiritual facilitating drugs, I say don't do it. If you're trying to do some sort of big ritual work, reschedule it. Don't do it. You know, we're not meant to be doing. Okay. This lunar eclipse is in Scorpio. The moon is in Scorpio and opposite to the sun in Taurus. The sun just so happens to be in a sandwich between Mercury and Uranus. 
Mercury and Uranus are the two planets that are related to our nervous system and our mind. While the moon in Scorpio is all about messiness and emotion, you want to keep in mind, Scorpio is a fixed water sign, right? It's all about messiness and emotion, while the sun in Taurus, which is really a, a zodiac sign, again, fixed earth, that likes to dig in its heels and not make changes, while Mercury and Uranus, also opposite the moon, are revving up the sun, weaving stories, perhaps feeling anxious. And this anxiety, which will couple with the fact that Neptune is still square to Venus, can intensify the emotional messiness of the moon in Scorpio. So I want to just kind of hold space for the messiness that you're likely to be feeling or dealing with in your life the messiness of what you understand to be happening in the world. Because the messiness that we feel is a part of what it means to feel and to be whole. Mercury and Uranus may be egging on the sun to be like, here's a reason, here's the fix. And that's cool, but that's not really what eclipses are for. They're about allowing yourself to fall off your fucking board when the wave gets big and have it crash at you, like finding a way to fall as safely as you can and know that you're going to get a bunch of salt water in your face. Again, I'm not a surfer, so this metaphor may be very clumsy, but I'm hoping it lands. Because of the emotional intensity and messiness of this full moon in Scorpio, it is absolutely possible that addictions, present and past, may make themselves known to you. So it may be, you know, your own addictive tendencies, your own addictive behaviors or history, but it also may be the emotional complexities that are at the root of your addictive behaviors or impulses that get triggered, right? We want to keep in mind that Aries eclipse was all about embodiment. And now this Scorpio eclipse is all about this messiness, right? And that can really kick up addictions. So be gentle with yourself if those feelings come back up or come up around this eclipse and do your best to make choices that are harm reductionist and as healthy as you can do. All we can do is our best. And the most important thing during an eclipse is not that everything goes well. The most important thing is how you conduct yourself, the motivations with which you conduct yourself and your willingness and ability to try to be emotionally present, empathetic, accountable, all the fucking things. All lunar eclipses, and certainly this one in Scorpio, are an opportunity for release, for letting things go. Scorpio is all about release and letting things go. And in particular, uh, resentments, pettiness, passions, and taboo emotions. And while that sounds good, the only way to release a thing the only way to heal a thing is to feel it, right? You got to feel it to heal it. That's, that's a saying that I did not come up with on my own. So it sounds great to release your burdens. But in order to release them, first you must hold them. And that's the messy part of this eclipse is can you stay present with and hold your fucked up emotions, your messy emotions, your resistance to doing things in the way that you know better about. You know, for all of us, the answer is yes and no. The extent to which it is no or yes 
you know, it depends on you. But this is a messy time. This is a messy time. And I want to encourage you to not allow your anxieties or your insecurities, your desire to be perfect or tidy or to make sense of things as you're in them to inhibit you from staying present with how you feel when you feel it. You don't always have to act on your emotions. You don't always have to understand your emotions. To make things a little more intense, we still have that, you know, Pluto square to Jupiter I mentioned at the start of the episode. It's active in this chart and it's uncomfortable and it's egging us on. It's egging us on to take on everything and to do everything we can or to find a reason why things are bad. Maybe that reason is us. Maybe that reason is me. Maybe that reason is you, right? Pluto and Jupiter together can be very blaming. And that's just not helpful. If you're going to engage with yourself or others, seek the truth, not the answer. The answer It's like the thing that you get at the end of the equation and you hand it into your teacher and then you get graded. The truth is presence and acknowledgement of what is. Seek the truth, not the answer. And that, again, requires being emotionally present with the fucking mess. Easier said than done. It's not easy at all. However, This is what we're working with. And I should have said earlier, but the full moon is happening at 15 degrees of Scorpio, 14 degrees and 58 minutes to be exact. Full moons are tricky. They're always tricky. Eclipses are always challenging, you know, because there are a lot of emotion. And most of us do not have lives that we can just put on pause to feel our feelings, right? That's not realistic. But between the Venus squared and Neptune, the intensity on a regular day of a full moon in Scorpio and the Mars square to Chiron, which I did not really talk about. But these transits within the lunar eclipse chart all point to the challenge we are likely to have with staying embodied with our emotions. It is a challenge worth rising to. That's all, you know, and if you can't, you can't. And if you can, great. Again, we should not be looking for perfection or even uh, magical healing during an eclipse. All we should be doing is looking within, getting present, being in a state of receptivity and riding the waves. And as you know, I just taught a class called The Moon and You on the moon if you want, you know, kind of like extra help on how to cope with and engage with the moon. It's not about prediction. The longer I'm an astrologer, the more convicted I become that prediction can take us out of our emotions and into our heads. And when we don't return to our emotional body, when we don't have tools for being emotionally intelligent, accountable, self-reliant, no matter how much progress we make in other areas of our life, it really hampers our development and our happiness. So you don't need to know in advance what's going to happen this eclipse. You don't. All you need to do is show up to the best of your ability and to know whatever it is that happens is your experience of the eclipse. And however it is that you show up and engage with yourself or with other people in real life or online, that's all a reflection on you. And that's all you got to know. Now, I will also remind you that Mercury remains retrograde, not forever. Oh, but for now. And so what that means is you're going to be triple checking contracts or agreements before you sign them. You're going to make sure that, you know, you reread that email before you hit send. You don't make any major plans if you can avoid it. And if you're going to travel, I don't know, before you check that bag, 
make sure that you put all the important stuff you need, just in case something happens to it, uh, in your carry-on, right? You're going to do those kinds of things. But then on a more uh, psychological and spiritual level, you're going to take this opportunity to do your rule of reads so that you can reflect and even reimagine what's possible, where you're at, who you are, what you want next, and then recalibrate from there. Rule of reads can really help a transit like Mercury retrograde, which can be, you know, very fucking annoying. Am I right? I'm going to quickly run through the transits. May 1st, a.k.a. Beltane, a.k.a. International Labor Day. Pluto goes retrograde in revolutionary Aquarius. What could possibly go wrong? We also have a sun conjunction to Mercury retrograde. On the 4th of May, Venus forms an exact square to Neptune and then an exact sextile to Jupiter. And then finally, on the 5th of May, we have a lunar eclipse in Scorpio at 1034 a.m. Pacific time. I thank you so much for joining me this week on Ghost. If you get value from the podcast, please do hit the subscribe button wherever you listen to your podcasts and write a little five-star review. It means so much to me and the show. And if you would like to learn more with me, please join me over on Patreon, especially on the first of the month, because on the first of the month, I drop a bonus episode of Ghost of a Podcast on the kittens level, where I do a full month ahead breakdown uh, and also, you know, a sun sign horoscope. You can find me over there, patreon.com slash Jessica Lignato. Take care of yourself and others. And this May Day, may I remind you that unions in America want us weekends paid time off, sick leave, social security, a minimum wage, overtime pay, child labor laws, and so much more. Every year they say the